I want to read you the Christmas story. There are two primary accounts of the Christmas story in the Bible. One is from Luke, and the other one is from Matthew, and I'd like to read that one to you and then have prayer. Matthew 1, beginning in verse 18, reads like this. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this special and glorious time of year that comes around every year. Lord, we are reminded of what a great and glorious God you are, holy and righteous in everything, but also loving and gracious and merciful. We thank you so much for Christmas and the sacrifice you made so that we could know you. Open our eyes a little bit more tonight to what Christmas is truly all about so that our celebration might be truly great. And I offer this prayer in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, you know, we do gather together tonight to celebrate Christmas, right? Christmas, of course, is the celebration really worldwide of the arrival of God the Son on planet Earth a little over 2,000 years ago. Jesus, the much-promised, long-awaited, highly-anticipated rescuer and ruler of the world. God, the Son, the Savior, come to save his people from their sins. And so this Christmas Eve, I'm hoping to help you celebrate Christmas this year by reminding you of several things that were never, ever the same after that holy night, okay? I'm going to give you four things. I want you to think about these things. The first is this. The history of the world was never the same after Bethlehem. It was never the same. Think about it. We live in the year 2013 A.D., right? You know what A.D. stands for? Anno Domini. It's a Latin term. It means, for, means the year of our Lord, What do we call the era prior to A.D.? B.C., right? Before Christ. Think about that. Isn't it mind-boggling to realize that the birth of one little baby split history, divided history? History has never been the same since Bethlehem's manger. And then just think about that word, history, for a moment. History. History. His story. Whose story? Not mine, not my story, not your story, not Washington's or Lincoln's or Confucius or Buddha's or Mohammed's or Alexander the Great's or Moses' story. I don't know anybody who refers to history as the story of any other person but Jesus Christ. History is his story, right? The arrival of Jesus on earth and his life and his teaching would forever alter the contours of human history. Over time, Jesus' influence would mark every culture 
the world over. Perhaps you knew that, that even 21st century ways of thinking about ethics and morality and philosophy and law and justice and government and education have all been influenced by the life and teachings of this one man, Jesus Christ. Man, if Jesus had never been born, who knows what kind of condition our world would be in. Many scholars, maybe you know this, have shown that commonly held values like the preciousness of human life and the value of children arose from the influence that Jesus and his followers had on culture. Let me ask you, who started the the large-scale movements to create hospitals and orphanages? Who started all that? It was the followers of Jesus Christ. What was behind the efforts to improve literacy in our world, especially among the lower classes? Well, it was the example of Jesus Christ. Where did the popular concept in our day of servant leadership originally come from? Who was the the first person to really embody humble servant leadership? Jesus Christ. Through his teaching and through the way he lived his life, Jesus forever changed history. Think about how he elevated, how women were viewed, because he had women as his companions and his little band of followers and disciples. He brought compassion for for poor people into focus. Remember when he was hanging on the cross and there was his friend John right next to his mother Mary, even in the midst of his own suffering, he looked at John and he said, John, care for my mother. And thus he dignified the elderly. Where do we get the concept of loving our enemies? Where does that come from? Well, it comes from the teachings of Jesus Christ. All of these values and dozens and dozens more were either initiated or enhanced by the ministry of Jesus of Nazareth. I think about our country. Our our country, the United States, in particular, bears the fingerprints of Jesus in a way that perhaps no other country does. Just for an example, I know you're familiar with the prestigious Harvard University, right? Do you know what Harvard's original motto was? Adopted way back in 1692. Do you know what it was? It was in Latin. Here it is. Veritas Christo et Ecclesiae. Self-explanatory, right? (laughs) That is Latin for truth for Christ and his church. Think about that. That phrase was embedded on Harvard's very first logo, and it can still be found engraved on many buildings on Harvard's campus today, including their library and many dormitories. Now, Harvard has strayed a little bit from their roots. But what I'm saying is, this is just one of many, many examples of how our country as a nation was deeply marked by the life of Jesus Christ. The historian from Yale, Yaroslav Pelikan, wrote this, Regardless of what anyone may personally think or believe about him, Jesus of Nazareth has been the dominant figure in the history of Western culture for almost 20 centuries. If it were possible, with some sort of a super magnet, to pull up out of history every scrap of metal bearing at least a trace of Jesus' name, I wonder if there would be anything left. Historian Philip Schaff said this, This Jesus of Nazareth, without money or weapons, conquered more millions of people than Alexander, Caesar, Mohammed, and Napoleon. Without science, he shed more light on things human and divine than all philosophers and scholars combined. Without the eloquence of schooling, he spoke such words of life as were never spoken before or since. 
and produced effects which lie beyond the reach of orator or poet. Without writing a single line, Jesus set more pens in motion, furnished themes for more sermons, orations, discussions, volumes, works of art, and songs of praise than the whole army of great men of both ancient and modern times. That's the influence of Jesus of Nazareth. Any honest appraisal of history would have to conclude that history was never the same after that first Christmas. You know what else? Religion was never the same. Religion was never the same. I don't know if you know this, but before Jesus came on the scene, before he was born, religion in the Roman world was focused on trying to appease a whole pantheon of deities, all of them deeply flawed and resembling superhuman superheroes, really. The Jewish religion was all about burying its followers under a mountain of rules and regulations and rituals. It was commonly believed in that day that giving your best effort at keeping all those rules would ultimately be recognized by God such that he would reward you, reward you by giving you eternal life. Many Eastern religions taught that everything that exists is of one essence and the ultimate experience is connecting with the divine consciousness through meditation and other spiritual practices. Then Jesus came along and Jesus of Nazareth, the baby grown up now to become a man, had a very different message that he started to proclaim. He said there was only one God who exists in three personalities that God is distinct from his creation, he's separate from and over his creation, that he's unimaginably holy and pure, and that he cannot help but demand sinless perfection from his creation. And he said there's only one path to reach God, only one path. Jesus also taught that God is merciful and loving and gracious. And at great personal cost, would himself become that narrow way by which sinful human beings could gain God's favor and become members of his holy family forever. So this was all new. Religion was never the same after Jesus was born. If Jesus had never been born, then humanly devised religion would have just continued unchallenged down its deceptive path. Jesus loves me, this I know, would have never been written, nor would all the Christmas hymns that you and I love to listen to and sing at Christmas time, nor thousands of other songs that praise God God for saving sinners by grace alone. But because Jesus was born, because Bethlehem did happen, history was never the same and religion was never, ever the same. Now try to wrap your mind around this. Something else that was never the same. Jesus. You ever think about that? After Bethlehem, Jesus was never the same. By submitting to his Father's plan to come from heaven to earth and be born in human flesh, Jesus himself was forever changed. Did you know that? To use the Apostle John's language, the word became what? Flesh. Jesus' humanity wasn't just a costume that he wore. Jesus is not like Clark Kent, going around masquerading as a normal human being until his powers were needed. Jesus forever joined our humanity with his divinity for all of eternity. He will be the God-man. Did you know that? 
The Bible says this, There is one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. Present tense, there is. Jesus is still human. Jesus is still a man. Jesus still has a body. When Jesus came to this earth, he permanently gave up a lot more than we realize. Maybe you thought that Jesus shed his humanity, his human skin, when he went back to heaven, but that's not the case. Even in heaven today, Jesus still has a body, although it is a glorified body. It's evident from Scripture that he still has the scars in his hands and in his feet and in his side. Maybe you wonder if Christians down through the ages have believed that, and my studies show that they have. A great Christian theologian, Tertullian, writing in the early 200s A.D., said this, Jesus is still sitting there at the right hand of the Father, man, yet God, flesh and blood, yet purer than ours. Do you remember when Jesus left the earth and the disciples were standing there gawking up into the sky as Jesus was lifted up into the heavens, and God sent two angels to bring them some words of comfort. Do you remember what those angels said? Men of Galilee, why are you standing there looking up into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come back in the same way that you saw him go into heaven. How did he go up? With a human body. He sits now in God's presence, at God's right hand, in his humanity, and he will return in the same way as you saw him go, in his humanness, with a human body. A scholar named David Mathis wrote this, The Christmas Advent is a chance not only to celebrate Jesus' taking of human flesh, but also his keeping of it. It wasn't a mere 33-year stint or cameo appearance that Jesus made on our planet. Impressive as that would have been. Jesus is forever the God-man. He is glorious not merely in assuming our human nature, but in remaining our brother, our older brother, and continuing as the visible image of the invisible God. You ever thought about that? Jesus is still a man. He's still human. Oh, he's fully God. He is still the God-man. That's why another author could write this, God is forever connected with us in our humanity. I don't need to view God as some distant being who just doesn't know how to relate to me. Jesus is still human and because of that, he intimately knows and understands my struggles, my emotions, my life. He is still the perfect mediator between God and me because he is like a brother to me. It fills me with joy to know that in heaven he will actually be able to hug me and walk with me and I will actually be able to look upon the scars that saved me. Aren't you glad that Jesus didn't just drop us when he ascended back into heaven? He remains to this day one of us, Emmanuel. See, Jesus gave up a lot to come here. He'll never be the same. He will never be the same. Now get this final point. Not only was history never the same, not only was religion never the same, not only was Jesus never the same after Bethlehem, but people who trust in Jesus are never the same. I'm talking about people who truly, genuinely, from their heart, believe, trust in Jesus Christ. They're never the same. Not for now and not for eternity. You could say it like this, God decided that he would never be the same in order that people like you could have the hope of never being the same. 
The Bible records the stories of many people who encountered the living Jesus Christ, put their trust in him, and were permanently changed, like Joseph and Mary, like Anna and Simeon, like the shepherds, like the wise men. Jesus' own brothers and sisters, or I guess I should say half-brothers and half-sisters, did not believe on him at first, but later after his resurrection, they did as well, and they were never the same. Jesus' disciples were never the same, Andrew and Matthew and Bartholomew and John and Jude and James and those guys. People whom Jesus touched and healed were never the same, Lazarus, Mary, Martha, the blind man, the prostitute, the lame man, all of them transformed by Jesus. They were never the same. Paul was certainly never the same after he got knocked off his horse by the living Jesus. And you know what? Not just those people in the Bible, but believers down through the centuries have seen their lives be transformed by believing the message about Jesus. I've I've certainly never been the same since I gave my life to Jesus Christ in September of 1979. He changed me. Something fundamentally about Steve Benninger changed that day, and I didn't do it. He did it. Many of you could probably give testimony to the life-transforming power of knowing and trusting Jesus Christ. And so on this Christmas Eve, I wanted you to hear the story of one particular young man in our church who has seen his life being transformed by knowing and believing the gospel. And so, Nate, come on up and share with us. Good evening. It's uh, truly an honor to be able to speak to you on such a special occasion. Uh, As Pastor Steve said, my name is Nate. I am 27 years old. I have a girlfriend named Ashley. I also have the enormous privilege of serving as an officer in the United States Air Force. And um, thank you. I went to Miami University for my undergrad, and then I went to the University of Cincinnati uh, for my graduate school work where I studied Arabic and Islam. Uh, Don't worry, I'm not a Muslim. I am a Christian. I have been since I was 14 years old. Uh, But the problem with that is, you know, I I really didn't know Jesus. And I really wasn't living for Jesus. And matter of fact, I mean, honestly, I didn't really feel like I needed Jesus. I had the car. I had the job. I had the girl. Money wasn't an issue. Social status. I was educated. And as I look back and reflect a little more on my life, what I think about is I was really just searching for somebody to validate me. Somebody to say, you know what, Nate, I'm proud of you. I was looking for that to feel fulfilled in my heart, to feel whole. I wish I could tell you I found that in an easy way, but uh, God had to break that pride of me not needing him. And I had been in a bad relationship, and it crumbled, and my identity did along with it. And I stood right over here a year ago yesterday with a a wonderful woman named Penny Hoover. She's a prayer partner. And uh, we we pray the prayer. I give it all up to God, and I basically just say, you know what, God, I'm going to read the Bible. I'm going to do whatever it says in there. And, you know, she's like, that's great. She's like, she looks at me, and she goes, well, tell me what the relationship with your father is like. I was like, huh. It's like, here's a, I'm just crying on this sobbing, soaking mess, and this woman's asking about the relationship with my dad. But you know what? Then it all made sense. Because I barely knew my father for most of my life. Him and my mom split up when I was about four years old. Our relationship was just in and out. It was intermittent. It would be characterized as one with hurt, with anger, with sadness, with resentment, with fear. So I did what society says to do. I turned to drugs at a very early age. I turned to alcohol, sexual impurity, and then eventually social status, success. But I can tell you this, though, is that the day that I stood over here was the day that my life absolutely clicked. And it didn't happen overnight. 
It happened week by week. I walked in the office of a man who is my mentor, my friend, my father figure, and the pastor of this church. Brian Robertson rolled up his sleeves. He jumped in the spiritual trenches with me to slay the demons and the dragons of sin from my past. And the, the most the mas- magical spiritual thing happened is he aligned me so close with Jesus that I was able to reach out to my father, who I hadn't talked to in almost half a decade. And when I had come to find out after reaching out to him, he wasn't in a great spot with his marriage. And he'll tell you that, you know, I, I helped him realign with that. And he's rededicated his life to Jesus Christ. And he'll, I'll tell you, it's just the overflow of the Holy Spirit, me just reaching out. That's all it was. And to take that a step further is both of my little brothers who didn't know Jesus before have both given their life to Christ in the last two months. And I can tell you this as well, is that the generational sin of divorce, of alcoholism, immorality, financial ruin, it all stops right here with me. Not because of something I'm just going to do on my own. I tried that. didn't work but because of what Jesus did for me on the cross. Friends, don't leave here tonight not knowing what Jesus has done for you. Not because you'll live absolutely amazed like I have for the last year of my life, but because you will know in your heart of hearts what will happen when you die and where you will spend eternity. And that is a long, long time. Friends, I thank you so much for your time tonight here in A Slice of My Life uh, and hearing about the great things that Jesus has done for me. I, I love each and every single one of you. I pray for each and every single one of you, and I hope you all have a very wonderful Christmas. Thank you so much. That's what I'm talking about. Preach it, brother. <laughs> you know, it occurs to me that... Um, Here on Christmas Eve 2013, you can be one of those people whose life is never the same. I mean, what what better gift could you give to Jesus on his birthday than your life? You know the little baby grew up, right? I mean, he was cute and all in the manger, but, but, but he grew up, and he lived that perfect, sinless, righteous life that God demands of all of humanity that we can never live. Jesus lived it, and he lived it for us. And then he stretched out his arms and died on an old rugged cross, the plan of God, taking your sins and my sins upon himself, taking the punishment that we deserve for our many sins. He took it for us. That's not fair, is it? An innocent person punished in our place And then three days later, his father raised him from the dead to prove that he was satisfied with that payment. Jesus ascended up into heaven bodily, as I mentioned earlier, and now he's in heaven interceding for his people and listening for the call of any who will put their trust and faith fully in him. Maybe that includes you tonight. Maybe Christmas Eve 2013 could be for you a spiritual birthday where you finally realize I'm making a mess of my own life with me at the wheel of my life. I'm not doing well. I can't meet up to the demands of God by myself. I need someone to meet them for me. And you decide to turn away from your life of sin and selfishness and turn to Jesus Christ and just place your life in his hands and say, Jesus, I'm yours. 
Be my Savior, Lord, King, Master. Be everything you came to be for me. You know, there's a point in your life where it's got to all get personal. You understand what I'm saying? You can know it up here. Some of you are raised in church. You've heard it all your life. I worry about you. I worry about you because it hasn't yet dropped into your heart. And so I want to challenge you this Christmas Eve night. Give your life fully and completely to Jesus Christ. Trust what he did for you on the cross. And I promise you'll never be the same for this life or for eternity. Would you bow your heads with me? I hope you're thinking about what Nate said. Some of the things that some of you are chasing after in life, he already chased after and found them to be unsatisfying. That's really not where life is found. Life is found in being connected with your creator through his son, Jesus Christ. You know, I believe there's a number of Christians in the room tonight and you're here on a Christmas Eve service and you hear Nate share his testimony and you're thinking, you know what, I used to be excited like that. I used to have zeal and passion like that for Christ. What happened? What happened to me? Where did, where did that go? Where along the line did I displace Jesus from his rightful place on the throne of my heart? And maybe for you, Christmas Eve means returning Jesus to that central place in your heart. If that's you tonight, would you just lift your hand and let me know that? I'm a Christian, but, but tonight I, I want to return Jesus to his rightful place as the king of my heart. Would you lift your hands up all around the room? Tonight. Many, many of you. You can put your hands down. I'm going to pray for you in a minute. Perhaps there are some in the room tonight, though, where really for you, this is, this is the first time tonight. You get it. You get what Jesus has done for you. You're ready to forsake your own human efforts at trying to be right with God, and you're ready to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Tonight, this is it for you. If that's you tonight, would you lift your hand? I, I want to be a Christian tonight. I want to become a Christian. I want, I want what that guy has. Would you lift your hands? Because I want to pray for you as well. Thank you. Anybody over here on my right? see several hands. Maybe you want to pray something like this to Jesus who's listening. You can say, Dear Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you really came to earth. I believe you really lived. I believe you really died for my sins. And I believe you, you rose from the grave. And I know you deserve my whole life, and so I'm giving my life to you tonight. Just tell him that. I'm giving my whole life to you tonight, Jesus. Come into my life. Be my Savior and King. Father in heaven, I want to pray for the Christians in the room tonight who have let other things crowd you out of their heart. They're very excited and enthusiastic about other things, but they've realized tonight they've, they've lost their first love. Would you restore them? Would you draw them back to your heart tonight? Would you remind them that there is no more satisfying person to know than you? Would you become their treasure once again?
for these few who are making this evening their moment of spiritual birth, of giving their lives to you, Jesus. Will you enter their life, forgive their sins, save them, and change them so that they're never the same? And we will give you praise. In your precious name, amen.